before I get to Acts 13, we are going to read the Bible. But I just want to make sure I want to get this introduced. We're starting a series. This is not going to... This is not a series for two weeks. This is going to take us months because the life of David is amazing. And we're going to, I, don't, I wouldn't say exhaust the life of David. We're definitely going to go deep into David because this is what the Lord told me. I got really excited about this. Uh, King David is one of my favorites and uh, probably studied his life in the scriptures more than anyone else. He's been a mentor and a model to me. But as I was seeking the Lord for the new season of our church, God said this to me, I don't know, probably in September, The Lord said to me, hold David up as an example to my people. That's really what this series is about. For months, we're going to look at the the life of King David. Not just so we can do a nice little Bible study or not just so, you know, because, but so we can look at David and literally learn to follow Christ as we follow David. Remember Paul said that, follow me as I follow Christ. Literally, God has put this man, David, in the scriptures so that we could learn from his example, the good, bad, and the ugly, and, and mostly good, and we could learn how to be like Jesus, because many of you know, those of you who have been journeying with us, that we at this church, we believe we are called to be a community of fully devoted followers of Christ, that we live in community together as a family, as a church family, but we have devoted our hearts to know Jesus intimately, amen, to become like Jesus completely, amen, and to partner with Jesus in his mission, right? And we have been growing in this, and I, the Lord is showing me that we are called to be disciples. We're called to be just like Jesus and to know Jesus and to partner with Jesus. And the Lord is showing me, hold David up as an example. Show my people how to follow Jesus and how to be people after my heart, like David was a man after my own heart. Hold David up as an example so that they can become like me, like David had be, became like me. I was thinking about this with, um, many of you know this, that uh, I'm not very good at fixing things. <laughs> and, um, in fact, I, I, I shouldn't declare that over my life anymore. Uh, it's bad. But honestly, for years of my life, I either just avoided work projects, you know, not work, not, not work projects, but like, you know, maintenance things. I'd rather just be like, hey, you do it, you know, I'll pay you for it or Come over, help me out. But something's happened. This is just a random note, but something's happened in the last year. The Lord has given me such confidence uh, that I really, I see everything as like, I could do that. Even my wife was saying something like, well, maybe you should ask somebody to help you with this. And I was like, why? I can do that. And she was like, yeah, you go. I mean, she knows. Who is this that I'm married to? She knows that usually I, I get frustrated with, with fixing things. You know, I, I don't know if, I don't feel like I know how to do it. But, like, I found that, for example, watching my father-in-law, John Paul, I can watch John Paul. He's really good at troubleshooting and fixing stuff. I can watch him, and I can I go, okay, yeah, I could do that. I could do that, right? Uh, James Moe, my homie here, he, uh, he, fit, he works on pools, right? So I have a pool now. And so I said, James, show me how to do this uh, cleaning out my filter and stuff. So he came over, and I'm watching him, and he's showing me how. And I think, I could do that. I could do that, Right? So, so he, you know, he doesn't have to keep coming over. And, uh, <laughs> but he's amazing. He's a good friend. He came over to help me out. And uh, those of you who don't know, I just started renting out my house a few months ago. Uh, a number of months ago, I started having all these things break in my house. It was really weird, you know? Okay, we're going to rent our house. And all these things started breaking. It was a blessing in disguise. And, you know, I, would, I had a, a stove that I had to fix. And I was getting frustrated with this stove. And the Lord just started speaking to me. It's amazing. Like, the Lord's been giving me confidence, but he'll just... Here, try this. So I've, I've had the Holy Spirit guiding me and showing me how to do these things. And one of, these, one of these things I had to do was my screen door was broken, 
right? The screen. And man, I, you know, I don't know how to fix a screen door. This just seems like, so back in the day, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Okay? So then, but the Holy Spirit's been helping me get confidence. The Holy Spirit's like, let's go check it out on YouTube. Hey, that's a good idea. You know, I'm sure most of you have already thought of that, but I'm a little bit slower than most. I need the Holy Spirit's guidance, you know, and uh, the Holy Spirit's just watching on YouTube. Guess what? Did you know that fixing a screen door, it's probably like the easiest thing in the whole entire world? I didn't even know that. So anyways, I go on YouTube. I watch a few YouTube videos about how to fix a screen door. I buy one of these little plastic rollers and some, and the netting and the little, little, I'm sure it has a name, little plastic tubing. It's so cheap, which is another thing that I really like. Usually it's like, oh, I don't, I, I don't have the money to fix stuff, right? But it was cheap. It was easy. I totally did the screen door. Michelle comes out, which is always what a man really wants to hear. <gasps> How did you do that? Oh. <laughs> Wasn't that hard. That hard. See, you know, there's something about having an example, isn't there? There's something about having an example that I can, I can watch on YouTube, which is amazing nowadays. I can watch something on YouTube. I can Google it. I can go to like howyoudostuff.com or whatever. And look at me. I'm a master craftsman all of a sudden, you know? Like, because what happens when you see somebody else do something, you all of a sudden go, wait a minute. I, I could do that, right? You know why there are certain adults that are good at fixing cars? It's probably because their dad or their mom knew how to fix cars, right? They just watched that parent, do it. There's something about watching someone else do something. It's how our kids learn so much. You always hear this phrase, more is caught than is taught. And see, this is what God has done. God has put people in the Bible for us to learn from their example. And more, more than anyone else, did you know that King David, there's more about King David in the Bible than anyone else except for Jesus. He has the second most narrative material in all of the Bible. He has First and Second Samuel... First Chronicles, he wrote more than 75 Psalms. Only Jesus tops the amount. Jesus with four Gospels, Jesus with all these scriptures about him, all these prophecies in the Old Testament about him. I mean, Jesus, that's number one, right? And more than anyone else, of course, we were created to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, praise God. But yet God has placed people in the scriptures, and I believe David more than anyone else, that we could look at his life and say, I could do that. Not in my own ability. Don't misunderstand me. By the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I could have a heart for God. I could fulfill my calling. I could hear God. There are so many specifics about why David was who he is and why David did the things he did. And God wants us to learn from his example. And even though he, he, you know, even though he was alive more than 2,000 years ago, and yet there's something about David that as you watch him, You'll know how to do it in your own life. I guarantee, I, I guarantee in this today, in this next series, you're going to hear the Lord. The Lord's going to take David and put him up as an example for you, literally like a picture, a YouTube video for you to see. And for your life, for your calling, for, for your character, you're going to go, I could do that. It's going to bring you inspiration. It's going to increase your faith. You're going to get wisdom from David, Right? And you're not going to have to ask James Moe to come over and fix your pool filter. No. And you know what's really cool, though, is even though we, don't, we can't know David specifically, the Holy Spirit is living in our hearts. And when I'm fixing my stove, the Holy Spirit can say, do this. And it's the same thing for every aspect of my life. David, the Holy Spirit will say to me, just do this. And we're going to learn. We're going to learn from David's example, and the Holy Spirit's going to guide us. Amen?
So this is where we're going. This is the beginning. So we go to Acts 13. I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, shouldn't we go to the Old Testament? Isn't David in the Old Testament? Well, he is. But we need to hear something from Acts 13 this morning. So, Father, I'm asking that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts, that you would literally take from your scriptures and paint a picture on our hearts and our minds of what a disciple looks like, what a man or a woman after your heart looks like. We open our hearts both today and for these next number of months that you would increase your favor, increase your calling, your faith in us, not just for our own lives, but for others. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 13, this is, and Acts chapter 13 is the Apostle Paul. He's on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. He's been sent out from Antioch, and he's traveling around planting churches. And he gets to a city called Antioch, different from the other Antioch. And uh, he gets there, and he's preaching the gospel in a synagogue. And he's preaching about Jesus. In fact, Acts 13 is, uh, the part that we're going to be reading, is a sermon about Jesus. It's a message of Paul telling the people that Jesus has died. Jesus of Nazareth is the, the Christ, the Messiah, who died and has risen again. That he's fulfilled the prophecies of, 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 the, of his resurrection, and he is the, is the Savior. And he's telling the people that they can be saved and have all their sins forgiven and be made right with God if they receive Jesus because of the blood that he shed. And of course, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, it's really that simple. He shed his blood, he's paid the price, and, and if you receive that gift, you'll, you'll be saved. But in the midst of this, of this message that Paul is communicating, both the Jews and Gentiles who don't know Jesus, he was communicating this message. In the midst of that, he talks about David. And we find... Some amazing things said about David. It's so significant that we would begin the series about David from Acts 13 because these are statements about David made hundreds of years after he was dead and in heaven, and they're made about David. It's like you and me saying something significant about a historical figure, right? Like it'd be like you saying, man, Abraham Lincoln is the best president we had, you know? Is there something about these particular people in history that we remember who they are, right? We remember what they did and the impact they left, like my favorite heroes, like John Wesley and William Wilberforce, right? John Wesley, who led England and and impacted this nation with revival. It's not just that he was a man of God. It's not just that he loved God and preached the gospel in his generation, but what did he do? He literally caused revival to happen, People come into Jesus and the church being transformed. But what happened after John Wesley? What's the legacy of John Wesley's life? Is it just the Methodist movement and the church of... of, uh, 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 It's not. It's not just the Methodist denomination that he left. He literally, from his life, produced revival after revival after revival. That's the legacy of John Wesley. Do you realize that what we're experiencing today and walking in the fullness of spirit is very much in part because of John Wesley? You, William Wilberforce, he ended the slave trade in England. We can all say because of William Wilberforce, there's no slavery in England. And because of Abraham Lincoln, because of the choices he made and the the fight that he fought, there's no slavery in America. Do you see what I'm saying? we, 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 We say something about somebody because of who they were, because of what they accomplished and the legacy and the impact they brought. And so in Acts chapter 13, there's just a couple of verses where, where the apostle Paul's preaching about Jesus, but he mentions David. Partly he mentions David because David's the father of Jesus. He's the, he's the, the forefather, many generations removed. He's the forefather, the great, 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 great
Jesus is a descendant of, of David, and so he gets mentioned a couple times, which is really significant. And also because it's David that prophesied about Jesus' resurrection, not the only one. but so, so Paul just keeps bringing David up in his sermon, and we find something very significant. It's as if God himself is saying something special about David. I mean, how would you like it? For hundreds of years from now, God says, remember my servant? I mean, this is the ultimate affirmation. When we go to heaven and Jesus will say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. But this is actually God testifying through Paul, saying this is the testimony of my servant David, and this is, what he, this is who he is, this is what he did. See, I want that. I want that. So look at, look at me. Two verses that we're going to look at specifically about David in this sermon. Starting in, um, in uh, Acts 13, we'll start in verse 20, just to give some context. Verse 20, Paul is saying, after that, after the, they went into the land of Canaan, after that he gave them, Israelites, judges, for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And he goes on and talks about Jesus coming and preaching the gospel, dying, rising again. Notice what he says. This is the testimony of God about David. This is God saying, that guy, that's my David right there. And what does he say? This David... I have found a man after my own heart. You know, it's not said of anyone else in the Scripture except for David that he had a heart after God. And listen to the next phrase. It's, he said, who will do all my will? All my will. That's really significant. That's the key word right there in that sentence right there or that clause. I, he will do all my will. He's not going to do it half-heartedly. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, David did not do the will of God half-heartedly. He did not halfway obey God. But you'll find, we'll find as we study David's life that he sought God. He asked God, what do you want me to do? The Bible says it this way, that he inquired of the Lord. At every turn, at every season of his life, no matter what David was going through, he asked God, what do you want me to do? He was a man who inquired of the Lord. Therefore, he knew what God wanted him to do. He knew God's will. And it says right here, he did all the will of God. All of it. Does that mean he always ob- obeyed in the sense that he never sinned, never made a mistake? You guys know his life, most of you, right? Dude made some major mistakes, huh? He sinned in some big ways. He's really the greatest king of Israel. He's maybe one of the greatest leaders in human history. He's the father of Jesus, the forefather of Jesus, and yet, dude, Committed adultery and killed the man, girl, the lady's wife. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, I totally messed that up. Committed adultery and killed the girl's husband. That it's insane. I mean, one of the worst things you could do. Most of you probably have not done that before, and yet, and yet, and if you have the grace in Jesus, but listen to me, like, and yet he's called a man after God's own heart. It says that he did all the will of God. Despite a bunch of sin in his life, despite a lot of trials that he went through, the testimony of God over his life is that he had a heart after my heart. 
He had my heart. He was not half-hearted. He was not focused on fear or self, but he was focused on my heart. He didn't do half of my will. He wasn't half-hearted. He was fully given, fully surrendered to do all of my will. That means he heard God and he obeyed God completely. This is who David was. See, this is the key to understanding why God wants him to be our example. The key to David's life is that he had a heart after God. His heart is everything. And so we're going ha- to need to focus on what? Why was he different? Why did he have a heart for God? What does that mean? Is this the key? Paul keeps preaching, and he gets to another verse. And in order to get there, we'll, we'll start in uh, verse 34. And he's, again, he's talking about Jesus. And that he, God, he raised him, Jesus, from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. So what's, what's being prophesied right here is that Jesus rose from the grave, and it was prophesied in the Scriptures that Jesus would die for our sins and rise again. Those of you who don't know, Jesus fulfilled like some 300 Scriptures about himself. And literally, verse 35 is quoting Psalm 16, which David wrote. So this psalmist is saying, David wrote this psalm, Psalm 16, saying that, 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 that uh, your Holy One, you will not let your Holy One see corruption, meaning that he only was in the grave about three days, and then he rose from the grave. And then this psalm, or the day, Paul says, this, we all know this isn't about David because David died. This is about Jesus who rose from the grave on the third day. And of course, the sure mercies of David have to do with covenant promises. Those of you uh, know what that is, but we'll go into that later. Verse 36, though, he says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, referring to Jesus, saw no corruption. Right? So the point that he's making is about Jesus. But right there in the midst of talking about the resurrection of Christ, he says another something about David. He gives a testimony. The Holy Spirit testifies about David right there in verse 36. Did you see that? After he had served his generation, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, he fell asleep. This is the testimony of David, that he served his own generation by the will of God. Let me break down that, that sentence in the Greek, because I, I think it's pretty loaded. The, the word serve, the word serve there doesn't mean to serve as a slave. It's not the word uh, that's referring to uh, where somebody would say, I'm a bondservant of the Lord, or I'm a slave of Christ, which you know, is a metaphor of saying, like, he owns me, he purchased me, he's my Lord. And that's very true of us. We are... Uh, those of us who have accepted Jesus, we are, he is our Lord. He owns us. We belong to him, and he's a good Lord uh, and complete freedom in, under his lordship. But this word actually is a word saying it's referring to willing service. It's referring to somebody who offers their service willingly, and it's referring to someone being an assistant, like uh, a doctor's assistant or a military commander's assistant. It, it would be translated like an aide or a partner or a servant, an assistant. And so he's literally saying that David uh, came alongside the purpose and the plan of God to, to partner with God to do something. He willingly gave his life in assistance to the plan of God. And, and then this phrase, um, the, 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 the sentence could be translated two different ways. 
I'll read two different translations. The, the NIV says it this way, he served God's purpose in his own generation. The emphasis being that God had a purpose for his life and he served that purpose in a particular time, in, in his generation. Whereas the New King James Version, which I had just read to you, the NKJV said, he served his generation, meaning that his service was to his generation by the will of God. The reality is, is that in the Greek, the phrase in his generation and the phrase in the will of God, they're both connected to the verb serving. So it doesn't really matter, to be honest with you, and I, only, I don't, I don't want to confuse anyone, it doesn't matter if, if which translation you look at, even though there's a little bit of a nuance of how they take it, it's really both. He served in his generation in the will of God. The, 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 the translation is that it's trying to bring out that nuance, and, and, and any commentary will say both are grammatically correct and both will work well and both communicate. He's serving his generation, but he's serving his generation according to God's will. That it's both and, that he's serving. That God's testimony about David is that he served, that he partnered with me in something. And what did he partner in? He partnered in serving his generation but not according to his own plan, but according to God's plan. That word will there, where it says in the, in the New King James, where it says, by the will of God, it's actually a different word than verse 22. Verse 22, I showed you that its text says, and he did all the will of God. That word will is referring to God's will, desire, what God wants. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do this. And then he did all the will of God. This word actually, some translations translate it counsel, in the NIV purpose, and in the New King James will. It actually is a different Greek word referring to someone's plan or intention or purpose. What it's saying here is that God had a plan for David's life. God had a purpose for David, and David knew what that purpose was, and he fulfilled that purpose. He fulfilled the call of God on his life. And how did he fulfill that call of God? He fulfilled it by serving his generation. By serving. Some people, they'll serve and they'll be busy, but they won't do it according to the will of God. They won't do it in the plan of God. They'll just be busy. Other people will know what God's plan is, but they try to use it for their own ends. They'll use their position for their own glory, not David. It says of David, in fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says of David, and David knew that God had established him for the sake of his people. See, David knew my calling, my position as king, the authority on my life, the anointing on my life is not for me, but it was for the sake of others, for the sake of God's people Israel. David, uh, God took David from being a shepherd of sheep to being a shepherd of people. It says in Psalm 78 that David shepherded God's people with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. David knew that he was not the, the, the ultimate king, but that God was the ultimate king. And David knew that just like I was to be a shepherd and feed and protect the sheep, and those of you who know the story of David, if anything would attack or take away his sheep, he would fight that lion. He would fight that bear to get, God, get uh, his dad's sheep back. David knew what it meant to be faithful what it meant to protect and to feed those sheep. And God said, here's a man after my own heart who wants to do all my will and, and, and ultimately did all of God's will. Here's a man who loves me 
Here's a man who's faithful in the little, who shepherds these sheep. God made David a shepherd of people because he knew that David would serve his people, that David wouldn't use his position to, to, to hurt, although he did make some mistakes in that. He did sin in that. There was a time that he did use his authority in the wrong way. But God knew ultimately that David would do all of God's will, that David would fulfill his calling. But this is the testimony of David, that he was a man after God's own heart. This is the key, that he did all the will of God, that he served in his generation, that he fulfilled his calling. He served by the plan of God. He served God's purpose or plan in his life, and he did it. He completed it. He finished well. I don't know about you, but I want that to be said of me. And how is it that you're going to be able to fulfill the call of God on your life? It always goes back to your heart. That if you have a heart after God like David, you will fulfill your calling like David. But we need to know the call of God on our life, don't we? So that we can serve others according to that plan of God. And so that we can fulfill our calling and we can walk in the calling of God. See, this is really, really significant because... Not everybody fulfills their calling. You know that, right? Not everyone serves according to the plan of God in their life. Not everyone finishes well. The Bible calls our life and our calling a race, and a fight. Paul says, run the race, like the good fight. And Paul could say of his own life, I have run the race. I have finished my fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. But not everybody can say that. Not everyone will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not everyone gets this testimony about their life. But David did. Think about, think about King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Did he fulfill his calling? Nope. He did not finish well. He forfeited the plan of God for his life. In fact, uh, let let me just mention about the Pharisees. Do you know the the, the Pharisees, it says in the Scriptures in the New Testament, that the Pharisees rejected the plan of God for their life. It's the same word as in verse 36. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. It's a plan to prosper us, not to harm us. It's a plan to give us a future and a hope. It's a calling on our life that will bless us and satisfy us, but it will also bless and serve others and give Him glory. Let me just say that again, because you need to understand that your calling will most satisfy you. When you know and walk in your calling, it will most satisfy you. It will bring blessing to your life. Number two, your calling, it will bless others. When you're walking in the gifts and the passion and the call of God on your life, and you're doing it for others, it will bless others. So what is my calling? Well, it's going to what's most satisfy you. It's also what will bless others most. But number three, this is the most important, it will most glorify God. It will most glorify God. <clears throat> and King Saul, was King Saul called? Did God have a plan for King Saul? It said of the Pharisees that God had a plan for them, but they rejected it. You've got to understand something about God's sovereignty. There are certain things that God plans. It actually says that Jesus died according to the purpose or plan for Christ, which is, again, the same word in verse 36. God has sovereign plans. For example, he promised to send his son and that Jesus would die on the cross. And he, and he did, right? And God has promised that Jesus will come back and rule the nations. And he will, amen? 
See, there are sovereign plans of God. Nobody can stop him. Nobody can change his mind. Nobody can change his will. God will do what he is determined to do. That is the sovereign plan and the will of God. The question is whether or not you get to partner with that by you accepting that plan. God's sovereignty and God's predestination does not undermine your ability to choose. That's why I just showed you, I mean, that's why I just mentioned that with the Pharisees. They rejected the plan of God for their life. And yet Jesus still died, and he still rose again. Do you think that Jesus wanted Judas to betray him? He was chosen as one of the twelve. Judas didn't finish very well, did he? Judas betrayed Jesus and hung himself. That wasn't the will of God. That wasn't what God wanted. Sure, God knew it was going to happen and prophesied it, but that's way different than making somebody do something. Do you know that it's said of King Saul... It's said of King Saul the same things that are said of King David. The Holy Spirit came upon King Saul. God anointed him. There was a, there, the, the prophet Samuel poured oil upon King Saul and then prophesied that King Saul would go uh, forth and there would be like three or four different prophetic things that would happen. Those were just to be signs. And that, 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 that he would run into these prophets and he'd start prophesying and the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And it says in the text of Scripture... That King Saul, the Holy Spirit, came upon him, that God anointed him, that he became a different man, that God literally changed him to be a different man, and that it says, and the Lord was with him. You know, it says the same thing about David. David got anointed, the Holy Spirit came upon David at a young age, and it says of David, and the Lord was with him. And yet, did King Saul do all of the will of God? No. Did King Saul finish well? No. For those of you who don't know, God would give him assignments, and he would fear what people think. More than once, he gave in to the will of the people because he was afraid of what they would think. He was afraid of their rejection, and so he did not do all the will of God. But yet he thought he did. He'd be like, no, I did what you said to do. And the prophet Samuel said to him, no, you didn't. He's let, he, he was letting the men have all these spoils from this particular war. And he's like, no, I did what you said. I just gave them this stuff. God's, and the Samuel said, I, God told you to destroy everything. And Samuel's like, didn't even get that he did not do all the will of God. He completely missed it. Do you know that God says to Samuel, oh, I'm sorry, to Saul. It's in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. God actually says to Saul, through Samuel, God says through Samuel, I would established your kingdom forever. Do you realize that the Messiah could have come through the line of Saul? See, what we don't understand is that God was going to bring Messiah, but he's always looking for a man or a woman who would partner with him, who would believe him like Abraham did, like Noah did. And he called a man named Saul He gave him his spirit. He gave him a position. He said, I am with you. And this man did not know God. This man did not have a heart after God. This man did not do all the will of God. And he shipwrecked his own calling. And God said to him, I would have brought, I would, I'm sorry, I would have established your kingdom forever. The implication from Samuel, very clear in the text. The implication is the Messiah would have come through that line because the same promise is made to David. God said to David, I will establish your house forever and through you 
will come the Messiah. God says that to David. Why? Because David was a heart, had a heart for God. What I'm saying is, a plan for Saul's life, I missed it. There are a lot of kings in the Old Testament who had the Lord with them. Some of them finished, some of them started good. People like Hezekiah or Asa, great kings. They did great things for God and they finished poorly. Asa, he started looking to other nations for support instead of to God. When he got sick in his feet, instead of looking to God, he consulted the physicians and he died. It's not to say we can't go to doctors. It's just that he didn't ask God. He started looking to other sources. And let me tell you, I'm saying Asa did good things for God. But the testimony about Asa is that he finished badly. But what's the testimony about David? Finished well. He did all the will of God. Through everything in his life, yet he had a heart for God. Through everything that he went through and everything that he did, good or bad, God says, this is a man after my own heart. So much that he is, more than anyone else, a model for us. So much that through David comes the Messiah. There's no one like David in the Bible. So much that God would say in Acts 13, he served my purpose and plan in his own generation. He did what I wanted him to do. He fulfilled his calling. Think about that. It's amazing. There are other people in the Bible who fulfilled their calling. But not everyone fulfills their calling. But David did. It's amazing when you know about his life, and we'll go over his life more. But it's amazing. He went through multiple trials, insane hardships. His life was pursued by at least two people in his young years and in his older years. He was chased by people who wanted to kill him. Shamed. Because once you get chased by a crazy person, everyone else thinks you're messed up, right? Well, they must be chasing him because he did something wrong. Right? That's what happens when many of us go through trials. You got some crazy religious people saying, Oh, you must not be trusting God. You wouldn't be sick if you had faith. You know what I say? Shut up. No, I'm okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. That was me holding back. Okay. So, David did not do anything. At least the first time. Or maybe the second one. You could say there was a consequence of his action. But the first time, when Saul was trying to chase him, he didn't do anything wrong. And yet he was shamed by people. He was rejected. He lost a lot of wealth. He lost a position. And this guy tried to kill him. But did he ever die? Nope. Did he fulfill his calling as king? Yep. See, this is what I'm saying. No trial ever took David out. You know, I don't know why. We just think automatically, of course he trusted God. But how do many of us respond to trials? Do you realize that David never let fear get him or hopelessness or despair? He could have checked out, gone to Moab, become a farmer. Forget that. He never gave up believing God. He never gave up on his calling, no matter what the trial. Why? Why? See, this is what we're going to look at. Why did he fulfill his calling? This is what the Lord's going to speak to us about. How is it that he was a heart, had a heart after God? How did he respond to those trials? When the whole nation of Israel is freaking out about Goliath, one man rises up and takes out Goliath. Why? Dude, who is that guy? 
He's either crazy or he knows something about God. We don't. And you have giants in your life and you have trials in your life and you can either run away and hide and be passive or you can rise up like David. You have trials in your life that are trying to take you out. The enemy has schemes to take you out and you can just fold and give up and let Saul kill you or, or just forget it, I'm not going to do this believing God and walking in my calling thing. Or you can believe God and walk by faith like David and respond the right way to trials and you can see restoration, you can see victory, you can overcome and fulfill the call of God on your life. Amen? There's a reason why Scott earlier said, I didn't feel God's presence for years. And now I do. It's God's restoration, but the dude hasn't given up. And there are certain things he has done. See, it's not just David that's our example, is it? People all around us who are learning from David, and we can learn from them. You can fulfill your calling. You can overcome trials. What about sin? Man, David sinned a lot. It wasn't just like one thing he did wrong. Dude messed up. I mean, come on, adultery and then used his position as king to get a man killed? Covered it up with lying? Hardened his heart? That's insane. And yet, what? wait a minute. Even that sin didn't take him out. He still fulfilled his calling. It's still said of David, he had a man, he was, had a heart for God. It's still said of David, fulfilled the plan of God. Why? Because of the way he responded. Because of the way he responded to those failures. Do you know, I'm telling you, in every area of his life, he fulfilled the call of God for his life. He wasn't just a warrior. He was a warrior. He took out Goliath. He was a warrior who led the people of Israel in battle. Those of you who don't know, he was the greatest king of Israel. Every king is always compared to him. It was the golden ages. Economic prosperity. The, 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 the whole land of Israel experienced peace. He, 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 he fought all the battles around Israel. He was able to subject all the other nations to, to tribute. We can talk about the ethics of that another day. But he was able to subject them to tribute. There was peace. There was prosperity. There was economic prosperity. Also, and this is the key thing, he led the nation of Israel back to God more than in any other generation. That generation of David, they worshipped God. They loved the Lord. And that was, of course, the key to all the other blessings. But he led his nation. He was a great king, a great leader, a great administrator. He was a warrior, never died in battle. He fought the Lord's battles. He did what God wanted him to do. But yet, way more than that. You know that David raised up mighty men, and he imparted to them something of confidence, of skill, so that David's not the only one who killed a giant. We only know of David killing one giant. But do you know that he raised up giant slayers? A grip of mighty men who did greater exploits than even David. Some of them did it with David, but they took out giants with him. See, David didn't, wasn't just a warrior. He raised up warriors. David was a worshiper, wasn't he? So your calling isn't just about some task you're going to do. 
Your calling is everything that God has for you to be. It's not just what you're going to do. It's who God wants you to be, which is why your heart is essential. And what God wants you to be, number one, is to love him and to know him and to be in relationship with him, right? And David models that more than anyone else. He wasn't just a warrior and a king. He didn't just do things for God. He knew God. He worshiped God. He loved the Lord. But check this out. He didn't just sing to God in his bedroom. You know why we have over 75 psalms of David? Because he put, took his own personal songs and gave them to worship leaders. He raised up. He raised up worship leaders. He taught them to worship. He made musical instruments so that they could worship God 24-7. He instituted 24-7 worship in his reign so that God would be worshipped in Israel. And then he gave them his own songs so that his personal victories became corporate inheritance. And not only that is, you know where the other 75-some psalms come from? Or, I mean, a little bit less than 75 because only 150. Sorry. The math is messed up here. He wrote over 75 psalms. You know, most of the rest of the psalms, he inspired them. He raised up a generation of worship leaders, sons of Korah and Asaph and all these guys. They were generations after David. He wrote, made them you see what I'm saying? David wasn't just a worshiper. He raised up worshipers. He wasn't just a king. He wasn't just a warrior. He raised up warriors. Do you know that in, in, in an area of him being a dad, he started really bad. Bad. In fact, some of the problems in his life were because of the sexual sins, because of his passivity as a father. That's an area where he started bad. But guess what? He ended good. He raised up King Solomon above himself so that the, reign, the only reign where there was greater prosperity and greater peace than, in his, than, than his reign was his own son's. He imparted to his own son a desire for loving God and a wholeheartedness. Now, many of you know Solomon didn't choose that later in his life, but that wasn't David's fault. David raised up his son. He ended well, and he literally left a legacy in every area of his life. He was a great king, he was a great leader, a great warrior, a great worshiper. And even in the areas where he began poorly, he ended well. And he literally leaves a legacy in every aspect of his life. That's what it means to fulfill our calling. To not only do in my generation some service to others, right? What I'm most satisfied, what blesses people most, but what brings God glory, it literally means to impart, to invest in, to pass on to other people. So that literally like what we said about William Wilberforce, or we would say about Abraham Lincoln, there is a, a, an effect from their life, a ripple effect. There is an impact that they made, that they are remembered for. David left an impact on a generation and generations so that even to this day we read his psalms and we learn to worship. Even to this day we look at his life and we know how to love God more because of David. That was the call of God in his life and he did it. What I'm trying to say is that he fulfilled his calling. Some of you have begun bad, but you can end good. Did shame take him out? Did sin take him out? Did fear take him out? Did trials take him out? Did Saul take him out? Did Absalom take him out? Nobody! He fulfilled the call of God in his life. Nothing. But there were others. They let sin take them out. They let shame take them out. They let trials take them out. Not David. Listen, not us. We're not like Saul. 
We're going to walk in the footsteps of David, and we're going to see how to become the people God has called us to be, to love God, to know Jesus and to love him, to become like him completely. Do you know that Romans 8 says, you, you were predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Your calling is your character. Your calling is your relationship with God, and your calling is an assignment that God has given to you. When we say the word calling or plan for your life, don't think just a task. Think all that God wants you to become. However, it does include an assignment. Mark chapter 13 actually says that Jesus has given to each one of you a work. The Greek word is ergon or an assignment. Ephesians chapter 2 says in verse 8 that we've been saved by grace, that nobody could boast, right? We've been saved by grace through faith. And then he goes on in verse 10. And he says this in verse 10, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Literally, God has a plan for your life, a calling on your life that include good works for you to do. What does that mean? Assignments. Now, every one of us, you have a life calling. What God is calling you to be, come, and to do. But do you know how you fulfill that life calling? Some of you, that kind of freaks you out. You know, like you're perfectionist. It's like you go to, go to class, you get your syllabus for the semester, and you go, oh, no, I can't fulfill this. You know what the Lord is saying to us? You know how you fulfill your, your assignment, your life call? You don't even have to know what your life calling is. I, I really highly doubt the Apostle Paul. I'll show you that another day. I don't think the Apostle Paul knew all that God had for him. He just did what was right there in front of him. He may have known, but I, he did what was right there in front of him. He, Ephesians 2 says that God has prepared in advance for you to do good works. He has assignments for your life. They might change from season to season. You know, let me give you a quick example. This is an easy one. Those of you who are moms, well, you'll always be a mom, but I know many ladies Man, called to be missionaries, for example, right? Now I'm a mom. Missionary mom. Yes. You're called to be a mom in this season, and maybe a missionary in this season too, but it's different. See, many ladies I know who have a life calling, and then they become a mom. I know this because of, you know, a lot of ministry-minded people I've hung around with. And then these ladies become moms. Who am I? Well, one, you're a child of God. You're a mom. This is the assignment. You see, I don't have to ask very much, even about myself. Well, let's see. What is my calling? Hmm. Well, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Damn. There's a good place to start, right? That's the will of God for my life. I'm a husband and a father. And many of you, and you're a child of God, and you're created to know God and worship Him and all that stuff, and to become like Jesus. You don't really have to wrestle with it too much. You're called to make disciples. But what does it look like in your life? God wants to speak to you. How does the thing that was made know what it was made for? You consult the manufacturer. Forget this. Look within you. Find it in yourself. Man, you ain't going to find nothing in there. Unless the Holy Spirit's there. You need Jesus. Why? You can only know what you were made for, what you were created for, if you know the Creator. You only know what the thing that was made for, the thing that was, I mean, the thing that was made, it only knows what it was made for when you ask the manufacturer. And where do we get instructions? Right there in the Word of God. 
God has written in his word exactly who you are called to be and exactly what you're called to do. I just mentioned a couple of them already, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, to go and make disciples, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But do you know that the Bible says of itself, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God wants to show you what the good works he's prepared for you in advance for you to do. It says it right there in Ephesians 2. God's already laid it out. So get... God, oh, God, well, how, how do I know what you want me to do? He already prepared it. So what should we do? Anyone? Maybe ask him? Go to the instruction manual? Get into the word of God, which is a light unto my path and a lamp? I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm called to do. Get in the word. And what do we do? Ask him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord, and he shall direct your paths. What does that mean? Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Well, every day, every season, every problem you have, every question, every fork in the road, Lord, I acknowledge you right now. You're my Lord. I belong to you. I thank you that I'm your sheep. Your sheep hear your voice. Lord, I thank you that you speak to me. I need you right now. I need your direction. My life is not my own. I seek first your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you would speak to me right now. Show me. Who am I? What do you want me to do? What are the good works that you prepared for me in advance to do? What is the assignment on my life and the assignment for the season, Lord? What do you want me to do? See, you have a calling. God has prepared in advance for these things, these things for you to do. You have an assignment and assignments on your life. And they might change from season to season. How do you know? You ask him. He promises to direct your path. He promises to shine like a light into your path. He promises to speak to you. And he will if you'll ask him. Because how can you know? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Ask him. Ask him. Step one, right? What does that mean? He prepared these things in advance for me to do. I love making cookies with my kids. We made some oatmeal cookies this weekend. Made some really good food this weekend, by the way. But uh, made some oatmeal cookies. And my kids love to help me. They always have. And uh, I tell them, no, it's going to be too messy. No, I'm joking. I don't do that. That's the whole point, right, is to do it together. The Lord wants you to partner with him. So guess what it would be like for me to prepare everything in advance? Get all the stuff out. I measure it, I get the bowl, and I go, pour that one. Okay, now pour that one. Okay, now pour that one. Okay, now stir it up. Okay, now plop it on the, and they always lick the batter. Stop licking it. I mean, I mean, like they don't just lick the batter. Like you have to watch them like hawks, especially Emma. She'll eat the whole thing, you know what I mean? You just got to, no, I'm just messing. But of course, I'm like, hmm, that's good. That's good batter. But uh, so we don't, we try not to eat too much, you know, but uh it's good stuff. What has God done for you? I'm telling you, he's literally, he's planned it out. I don't mean he's controlling or manipulating you. He has planned out good works for you to do. He has an assignment for your life. Do you know what your calling is? And are you serving people according to that calling? It's really the first place to start. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, who's right there in front of you? Who, who's there that you could invest in their life? Who's there the two or three people who don't know Jesus, you would be praying for by name. Seeking to build a relationship where you could lead them to the Lord. It's not very hard to get started. 
Here you're in a church family. Live in community. You're in a church family. Serve. I guarantee you'll get more out of this series and get more out of what God wants to do in us in 2013 if you'll serve. Just get serving. David was called to be a shepherd of people because he was shepherding sheep. You don't, you don't hear God while you're sitting around doing nothing. Start serving the Lord and you'll hear him speak to you. And you don't hear God if you're not in the word and asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so what we like to do around here is what's called roles and goals. And I'll explain this to you more later, but it really is simple. What are, what, Lord, who am I? Well, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm a child of God. And just ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do in this season of my life? How do I love my wife? How do I love my kids? I got three of them, so I list all three. I do this three to four times a year. If not, I, re- I mean, I go over my roles and goals every week, maybe even every day. I have certain focuses. I live my life according to the voice of the Lord. I've told you guys that. I live. What are you, say- what are you saying? And I do it. My life has become super simple. What are you saying? I do it. But that means I've gotten better and better at he said it. Now let's remember it. Let's structure my life, my time, my goals around what he said. So he said to love my wife a certain way, work on this. He says to love my kids a certain way. He says as a, pa- excuse me, as a pastor, focus on these things. My leaders in the church, I have them do this three, four times a year. Roles and goals. Personal roles and goals, ministry roles and goals. What's your growth plan for your life? How are you growing to be- know Jesus, to become like Jesus? And in the area of partnership, what has he called you to do? All this is, is acknowledging the Lord in all our ways. I ask him every day. I ask him for seasons. And the Lord has showed me he, what my life calling is. He showed me what this season is. I'll talk about more how to see that from the Lord. But I believe that this is what the Lord is saying. Luke, come on up and let me just wrap it up with this. Listen to the Lord. The Lord says, thus says the Lord. Trust me. I have plans for your life. You don't need to worry about what it's all going to look like. Because I prepared them in advance for you to do. You don't need to worry about your life calling. Listen, the Lord says, follow me. Trust me. The Lord says to you, I will speak to you if you will ask me. If you search for me, you will find me. I have assignments for you right now. And I want you to hear them and I want you to do them. And so we're going to learn what it looks like to be a people after God's own heart. And we're going, to look, we're going to see David and see him fulfill his calling, and we're going to learn how to walk in that. Because we are not going to be like those who didn't fulfill their calling. We are going to be like those who fulfilled our calling. And we're going to learn, and we're going to see God's heart in David imparted to us. But it begins today with knowing what you're called to do. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. Do roles and goals this week. Seek him. Ask him. You'll get more out of this series if you do. And perfectionists, you don't have to do it a certain way. Just do it. We love you. We love perfectionists. But... And number two, are you serving according to that calling? Luke, lead us in response.